skeptical and very worried about what a Trump presidency would be. But this is a moment of unparalleled national humiliation, of weakness. When you listen to the president, these are the musings of an imbecile, an idiot. And I don't use those words to name call. I use them because they're the precise words in the English language to describe his behavior. aka we get busy um welcome welcome to the black sublime podcast i hope y'all are popping your you know hydroxychloroquines you know like the president has said um just fucking kidding don't 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 i swear nobody that listens to this podcast please do not when he starts giving medical advice or starts talking about you know, any pretty much anything, I would just, just don't do it. I read some things online the other day about, maybe it was actually earlier today. Um, I'm a bit tired today, but um, earlier today about folks that rely on the medication for lupus and other autoimmune diseases that are related to lupus, um, you know, are facing shortages and just not having act, not having adequate access to medication because of the increased demand that is obviously falsely um, inflated by this fool. Um, the I opened the podcast with Steve Smith. He was he's a former Republican strategist. The video was circulating online. I loved it. It's on MSNBC. He goes further he just reads him from filth and it was so funny because i don't really i i don't really have many cishet white male reads in my life like in my imagination that i can just call on and just did like a reference that if i want to feel a white man's read or cishet white man's read i can just pull from this chest of like this abundance and i will be adding this though this was this was a good a good read and you know I don't even want to get too much into politics today. I just, well, this type of politics, but I do want to say that I have some real motherfucking moral questions about the people that are supporting him. And I've always had, and I'm sure people, I'm not the first motherfucker to say that, but it's to a point now that I'm just like, How are y'all sleeping at night? Like, how are y'all sleeping at night? Um, Speaking of sleeping at night, I... My sleep has kind of improved. Like, I've been going... I've been on a... I've changed the way that I eat. I'm not going to give y'all too much tea because let me just tell y'all bitches. Let me just tell y'all that it works. And that's all I'm going to say. Um, for right now, but yeah, I've changed the way that I, that I eat and my sleep patterns have been off and I woke up today because obviously it's part of the, the lockdown has been lifted constructions back on this construction. It shook me to my bones. Like I thought it came from my chest. It felt like just the reverberations but I was like and in my dream it was as though my dream gave me a superpower where I was burping it was like I was belching sound waves <laughs> which is a little crazy but I remember just opening my mouth and just belching sound waves and and in my dream obviously and feeling like that was my new superpower and then I kept doing it in the dream and then I will as soon as I woke up, the sound happened to stop. So I was like, damn, this is a really fucked up ass dream. Like this is a dream that I the fuck? You know? And then it started again. So I was like, okay, like I wasn't chipping, but 
Yeah, it was, it's been crazy now that construction's back. I guess that's a good thing. You know, in New York, we were talking, or New York, we're implementing, you know, the four phases where we can go back to normal life or a semi-normal life or a pseudo-normal life, whatever. Um, but, um, so I guess it's good that we're in phase one. I mean, I don't know, child. What I want is... I want antibodies <laughs> honestly I want antibodies that's what the fuck I want I want antibodies I want like a, a dental dam that you know allows me to do, do some level of hoeing like I want them to keep paying us like I want there are things that I want um, but, you know, shout out to the construction workers. Shout out to everyone doing their jobs. Well, there's a couple of things I want to talk about this episode. And um, I guess... Oof, I don't know where to start. Well, let's just, let's just wrap. So, I think... Let me break this up into two... Into two Sections. My reaction to Twitter is the first half. My reaction to you diggers outside of Twitter, particularly in the political um, realm, is the second half. And the linchpin, the thing that connects it, will be insecure. So, just to start, you know, I've seen a lot of people mad at the extra, you know, at the CARES Act, particularly the provision, the extra money for the for unemployed folk, the extra six hundred dollars for unemployed people. Mad. I mean, people are wasting their internet. They're wasting Anita Baker's internet. They're you know they're they're wasting Beyonce's internet. They're exposing themselves to five G, <laughs> or whatever. To Make videos about how, or write posts, write posts about how unfair that allocation is. And a lot of political minded folk doubt that in the event of a stale or a stalled economy at the in August 1st that that provision won't be extended and here's what I'll say I'll say that this conversation should be monitored carefully if you are an essential worker, a non-healthcare, so a non-healthcare hourly essential worker, I feel like you reserve the right to speak. You, you can speak. You have the right, not reserve, you have the right to speak about this. I've seen a lot of people who are essential workers, who are not essential workers, who are not unemployed, speaking about this. And it's like, you have, you, if you are an employed non-essential worker, you have so much privilege. You should not be speaking about the plight, about what unemployed people should or should not have. This attitude, this nasty Victorian, because I have a job or because I have this, I can tell the have-nots what the fuck they can, what money can be in their pocket, what they have, all of that. Shut the fuck up. Like, you don't, you cannot speak about these things. It is not your place. Right. I mean, and it's not to say that obviously in media, there are people whose jobs it is to pontificate and to get in a bag about this. But a lot of people are like discussing 
the livelihoods of people that have a work-life experience that they have never seen and never had. Like, the thing about being an hourly worker, essential or non-essential, right, is that, well, let me back up. A lot of people who are salaried, and including myself when I was salaried, well, actually, I was kind of always kind of hip to the game, bitch, but at least not, when I got my first job, so I was 21, when I got my first, like, salaried corporate gig, I started working at 14, so I, you know, but when I got my first, like, corporate girl gig, I was, I was ignorant to what compensation could be, Right? As I went into a COO space, as I became just learned more about the game, I realized that compensation was not just my salary. That there were things like 401k matches, there were vacation days, if they could be rolled over, the rate at which they accrue, bonuses, discretionary bonuses, sign-on bonuses, uh discussions about you know wages like you know policies around you know reconsidering uh you know going up for raises and promotions like these things you can contractually you can contractually uh put in your in your deal i'm calling it a deal because i'm thinking about music but in your uh employment contract to not be in the same post in a year, you know, in a year or a year and a half. Like you can put promotion stipulations if you meet certain benchmarks in your agreement when you sign on to be hired. Like these are things that you can negotiate when you sign. When you have a salary job. None of this, obviously assuming that you're being hired from a place of power. None of this applies to hourly workers. Not only that, when you are part of a, when you are a salaried worker, there are expectations that are cultural that protect you, like severance, you know, garden leave for some. Um, you know, there are things in place legally to protect you as a FTE, a full time, you know, a full time equivalent person a full headcount a non-contract work you know there are protections none of these exists it's funny because in new york we're an at-will state but realistically speaking if you're a salaried worker and you get laid off not fired but laid off you are seldom, to, it's rare that you're not going to have anything. You won't have any severance, you'll have anything. You will have, they will give you something. Not the case for an hourly worker. There are people that are both essential and non-essential hourly workers of all ages that never take a day off. Ever. There are women that work until they give birth on their feet. And this is also the case, there are some jobs, like healthcare is one of those jobs where nurses bust their ass and they work and it's on their feet. Like there are, like, there are jobs, but there are bus drivers and waitresses and cab drivers, like the gig economy plus just regular, these people work and they never stop. There are cab drivers that ne that literally never take a day off. The the people that work at the corner store, through the at my corner store, they this is the craziest shit I've ever heard, by the way. Their work vacation deal is that you work for five years straight and then you get eight months off. So my homeboy Jamal is in, he hasn't been here, he's been back home throughout this whole corona shit. But he worked, he worked 12 to 12 every day 
for five years. And it's like, how dare you motherfuckers say that these people can't get their extra $600. And granted, if you're an essential worker, if you're an hourly essential worker, I do feel, I feel for that situation where you don't qualify for unemployment, you're not getting hazard pay, you're not getting compensated fairly, you're busting your ass, you're risking your life, your well-being, not just your life, the life of your family. And that's not fair. But the solution to that is not to take $600 away from other people. That's that bitterness and that nasty mentality. It's not to say you get less because I have none. We all should get, you should get hazard pay if you're risking your life. It is insane that you're not. We should be fighting for that. Fighting to fortify the bill to allow for hazard pay for people that are doing us the, the, the charity you know, because like a lot of you diggers, trust me, I would have probably scanned my way into some shit before I risk my life for people that cheat me like shit. Most of you, most of you motherfuckers, treat your treat your your supermarket like shit, treat your corner store, treat everybody like shit. It's like I would have probably had to, you know, find me a sugar daddy or. Or, or something. Sucks some dick. Scams my way into some shit. Because this is crazy. And I just wanted to talk about. I wanted to address that. Because it's crazy. I kinda, And just the. You know there's an economic conversation to be had. Or like and I guess in the. I, cannot, I don't know the right word for that. Uh, a conversation that economists would have. About this. You know how we value these sort of things and like how value is ascertained or even calculated in this type of system. You know, we have this strange system that, you know, isn't quite, isn't pure capitalism. It's really not our form of capitalism that anyone who thought of it would espouse. Like, it's not... It's strange, this sort of fiscal policy inclination to bail businesses out with public financing. Um, but it's just like, that's a conversation that is deep and we should have that, but I'm not having it today. It's funny because the, the more politically charged I've become, the more I realize what I just don't know. I mean, I know that I don't know a lot of shit, but it's like, in order to fuck shit up, I gotta really, really know. And I and I know I know a good amount, but to really get to really to really fuck shit up, I gotta really to get in some ass. And I ain't talking about you know the good the gushy, but to get in some ass, I have to really know. Or get people that know, and I'm excited to do that. That's another, I have to talk about that later, but not this episode. <sighs> so on my Twitter beef, y'all were so nasty to Molly. Y'all have been awful to Molly in the Molly versus in Issa versus internet beef on Insecure. Why y'all do that girl like that? Why y'all do that girl like that? We don't need to do that girl like that. And normally I'll really care. Okay? I, I like it. I feel like Insecure and Black Twitter combined gives us a nice living room feel with our cousins getting their hair braided and, you know... Feel us watching TV together like we used to watch award shows back in the day. Like it's it, it makes me feel I love that connectedness. So I don't actually mind, but a lot of you hoes are be lying, be lying. And when I say hoes, I mean I mean women and men because the niggas be lying, hoes be lying, episode just hoes, ho shit. 
A lot of hoes, y'all be lying on, on this. Like, a lot of times, like, what I'm hearing, the Molly slander. Oh, she messy. She jealous. She just mad because Issa finally getting her life together. And, you know, she's trying to tear her down by causing drama at her event. She's, you know, stingy. She should have opened up her life. She's mad territorial. She's this, ah, 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 this and that. And what... So let me back up. Let me just, let me just, for those who don't know, Insecure is a show on HBO every Sunday at 10, I believe. Amazing. This is its fourth season, 10 episodes this season, I think it's typically eight, uh, produced by Issa Rae, starring Issa Rae. There t- Yvonne Orji is, plays Molly, Issa Rae plays Issa. Um, and they've been best friends since for a long time, I want to say since childhood. They're not agreeing with each other, blah, blah. They had a falling out. And what I think is interesting about the show and interesting about this conflict is that you really, it really pits two types of women against each other. And two types of women that everyone, women and men, can identify with. And we have both of those within us. So on Twitter, when I see people dragging Molly, and I know that y'all are Molly. Like, I see you dragging Molly on Twitter, but I know you in real life, and I know that you are Molly, you know? Or, like, I see you in real life, and I know that you are 70% Molly, 30% Issa. You know, when, when I know that you are a Molly-ass bitch, but you are on your phone tweeting about how you're not Molly, I just don't get it. Like, you cannot drag Molly for this. And here's what I'll say. When I look at Molly, I see a woman who is a woman with a conservative memory, but a progressive spirit. A woman who has been conditioned and a con- not even been conditioned, but embraced a certain level of conservatism. And when I mean conservatism, I, do, I mean fam, quote unquote family values. What's the right thing and the wrong thing for people to do? A bit of that patriarchy, a bit of that, you know. But in her soul, she yearns for, for freedom, right? And the problem, or one of the problems, is that those values that she clung to were the same values that she energized, that she invoked, that she invoked to engineer her ambition. These are the values that she used as the building blocks of her future and of her dream world, of her ideal. So when people, you know, and we've all, I shouldn't say we've all, a lot of people have had this experience. When you are a young person and you've built your in your mindscape, you've sort of built this fan. You built this future, this i this ideal way of life using frameworks that are at best childlike. At best, they're childlike. They can be ranged from childlike to poisonous. To generational anxieties and pains and fears, to trauma, you've built your you built your future on this. You define success on this. Molly is somebody who has inched toward her her idea of success professionally, and because she has that professional success. One, it serves as a foundation or, you know, a bedrock for her self-esteem. Two, it feels precarious. Not the job, but the position, the security. And what happens is when you feel like your position and your security is precarious and it can be gone like this, you tend to be exacting about who you want around you about what you want about what they can ask of you 
what will you tolerate? What won't you tolerate? You tend to be heavy-handed and very normative because you are afraid at your core of losing everything you built. Everything you built based on the fantasies that you had as a child. And this sort of behavior is something that a lot of you motherfuckers engage in because I know you. I know you. So I know that you are Molly. You know, and and all of this, it takes some people 20, 30 years to really undo that. And as an adult, she has to contend with the fact that those lies, those values that she built her ambition on, that powered her ambition, were lies. And sometimes those values creeped into your friendships. Sometimes it wasn't just your professional ambitions. It wasn't just your romantic ambitions. It was the friendships that you built with those same values in your heart. And you wake up and you realize, that's why my fucking friendships are as thin as lamination. (laughs) Thin as laminates. Thin like the fucking plastic on my grandmother's couch. And why my self-esteem is fluttering about. Because your foundation was, was a lie. And a lot of you have realized that your fucking foundations were a lie. And some of you that haven't realized it will realize it and then be mad as fuck. And I just, when I saw this lack of compassion for her, it's like, you mad at her because you're her. When you look at what Molly has done for her, or not even for her, I don't want to say it like that. But in the context of the the two episodes or three episodes, Molly has tried to sit down with her and engage Try to have a conversation, not just about their relationship, but about her and where she's, how she is emotionally. Every single time, Issa has been dismissive. Issa has skirted the issue. Issa has invited other people. All the while, Issa knows that something is wrong as well. That's, that's nigga shit to me. And then... And given the context of knowing that something is wrong, she calls Molly and asks her for a favor while she's been trying. While Molly had her family prepare a special play, a special pie for you, for you not to come up. Like, I think for me, and people who know me know, like, I don't even, I'm not that, like, my family, I don't really like have I my friends know my family my family know my friends but these the pop that overlap is old there are very few new niggas that that have that access and I'm I've loosened up over the years but for me to tell my mother to make a special dish for somebody for somebody to that's coming to my house you must really be my that's never happened I mean <laughs> You must really be special. And for that to happen and for Issa just to not show up, to continue to skirt and skirt and skirt and skirt, to literally run away from her, that you see her running away from her at the end of last episode. And y'all, that's your queen? Somebody who can't have a, who can't step her pussy up when it's time to move her lips? But can but can be mixy and, and fuck and fuck TSA and no shade of TSA we love TSA but it's just like huh that's your question like that and I you know I like Issa too but I'm really responding to how people are lying on Twitter they're fronting on Twitter like bro. 
Issa is so attached and we feel bad for Issa because we see her detached from her emotions. We see her get fucked and not like it. We see her struggle to even be able to articulate her sexual desire. We see her struggle to get basic things across. We see her struggle to, you know, deal with her ex and we see her ex still use her. We see her in a weak position. And because of that, she pulls on our heartstrings. She gets our compassion. But she also reminds us of us, of our weakness. And we choose to be soft because we know that we have been like that or have had that. And that's not me. No shade. I've been there, but... I can see both, both, you know, sides. And bottom line is if I tell you not to ask my nigga something and you ask my nigga something, the, the, <laughs> that, that was really, Molly did a good job. Cause I know some bitches that would have rolled up in a way that she rolled up and knocked her down. Um, hmm, let's see where we are. Oof, bitch, I've been talking. Um, all right, so I think I'm going to skip this topic. I had a topic that I wanted to get to. I had a topic that I wanted to, wanted to get. Okay, so let's, I'm going I'm to I'm touch on it, and then I'm going to get into the real tea. And it goes, it, it ties to what I was saying about Molly. Although I joke, obviously. Well, actually, let me finish that. So, just for the record, what I would have done if I were Molly, I would have said yes, I would have let her use my man. But in that conversation, when I said yes, I'd have been like, bitch, you and I both know that shit's not, that, t- that this ain't all t- smooth sailing. We know there's problems. And I am, and I am off, I am, I am showing you grace and respecting our friendship, respecting our history. And, you know, showing my love for you and my, wanting, my desire to have you succeed, even though we're not 100% good right now, that I am going to do this. But know that you have not called me to deal with the issue, but you can call me to ask me for shit. And know that I see that. And then, I mean, if I said that, it would have gone down much differently, but that's what I would have done. I would have said yes, of course. If you my homie, you get what you need. But don't think you're gonna be sitting right here, itty, you know, giggling with my shit, with my toys, and and I and not playing. It's crazy. I wanted to discuss polyamory, um, but briefly, and not not in a preachy way. Not in a way that. Has not in a way to make anyone feel in any way. Really, what I wanted to discuss was the idea, the possibility for polyamory as politic. So the idea that you must um, the idea that if you're a progress, if you're a re- not like a real, I don't want to make it seem like that. If you are hyper hyper progressive. And you believe in separating the concept of ownership from the concept of love uh, or the energy flow of love or, you know, commitment and those things. And you truly want and you not I keep getting in this truly uh, trap, but it's like. If you want or if I, if I want to be as progressive as I feel or act in my progressive spirit, it follows that I would 
promote or be okay with or support polyamorous relationship even if I don't engage myself. Even if my personal preference for my behavior, and I'm not saying our, I'm saying mine, is monogamy. Does monogamy even hold up in a, in a truly progressive dynamic? Like, does it hold up in a progressive sort of anti-establishment paradigm? And I connect this to the insecure conversation because I think a lot of people with progressive politic find themselves in a strange floating no, no man's land when it's time to put it all together. You know, when it's time to be... anti-patriarchal but learn to be a wife or a husband in a, in a traditional sense. A father or a mother in a traditional sense. It's hard to be anti-elitist or to just simply not be elitist and be a parent because what we have been taught as the tagline to parenting is I want the best for my children. And that sentiment lends itself obviously or leads to elitism. Or that sentiment can be preyed upon by elitist structures. So the family dynamic, the type of children we create as the, the, the straight folks that are, you know, creating children. Uh, or I shouldn't say the straight folks, they're gays creating children, but the folks that choose to reproduce and can. Um, the family dynamics that are established have a politic. And a lot of people are getting really creative. Like, how are they building, how are they invoking or weaving their progressive politics into these uh, conservative shells, into these conservative casts, these conservative molds. And it's just an interesting thing because as you age, as we're seeing with Molly and Issa, and as you know, I've seen in my own personal life, as I've seen in other people's that are even further along, this conservative, this contending with conservative ideals or with conservatism is not a big deal when you're 16. Your friend can be a hoe, your friend can do like, you know, pop five, you know, plan B's, uh, you know, as a reference to Insecure, can pop five plan B's, uh, whatever. And you can be fine. And y'all can be friends. Your best friend can be, you know, gay cruising and, you know, getting penicillin shots in the booty every every two months because of the sifa. Dick drip. Your friend can be out here fucking husbands, getting paid. And if you're a conservative person, at 16, it doesn't, at 18, it doesn't matter. But at 30, at 35, you're like, as people start having kids and that conservatism comes knocking, you're like, hmm. Does this work for me and friendships expire? They expire at this juncture. So the last thing I want to get to, am I bad for being long-winded? Y'all know my, like, I don't be liking, I like to talk, but I don't really like to go past 40. Um, the last thing I want to say is, you know, something, just to be honest, Last week, last weekend was a hard weekend for me. Um, 
the whole week was hard and there were things even leading up to it like for months you know just culminated in a kind of disaster emotionally but I'll say that the saddest the the last shovel over the grave was the idea of this lack of empathy toward black life so you know, last week, or maybe I guess two weeks ago, there was a flurry of black death in the news and just, it was like a hailstorm of bad news. You know, uh, everywhere you turned, something was, fall- bodies were falling down, it felt like, or new details about dead bodies, or it's just, I, you know, and I couldn't, and if not just death, violence, crudeness, all about black lives. And what broke me just temporarily, what broke me was this idea that white people although not only white people, that the whites do not care about black lives. That there is a lack in empathy that is subconscious, that is all that is inherent. And that broke me. What further broke me was that it's not just, it's also black people. There is a universal communal lack of empathy about black lives, black peril, black agony. There's like some kind of palsy amongst the population in relation to our pain. And I posted on my Instagram a piece, um, a section from the Ezra Klein show. Y'all know I fuck with that show, Hard Body. And uh, Dr. David Williams talking about that. And an old article from NPR, I think from like 2013 or something like that, saying that white people really think black people experience less pain. And you have studies like this all the time. Studies that think black girls are, white people think black girls are older than they are. White people think black people are black girls. Excuse me, black girls are more sexually active, that they're more able to defend themselves. You know, these beliefs about black youth and black children. And I felt like I couldn't. What good is intellect? What good is art? What good is rhetoric and time and patience when people simply do not care? You know, that's we naturally we go to make the argument, well, this person was brutally murdered because we assume that we all agree equally in you know kind and position and intensity. That murder is bad. But when you find that people don't agree equally on that, that murder of a white person is bad, 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 and murder of a black person is bad, maybe. It's like, how can I fix that? And that powerlessness and that helplessness kind of made me feel like I couldn't do anything. And then, of course, I get on Insta or Twitter and Boozy's talking, running his fucking mouth about how he paid women to suck his 13-year-old son's dick. And he's done the same for their cousins. And that's just how you raise a man. And 
what bothered me, I mean, the whole thing's disgusting, but the conversation on Twitter bothered me. Because everybody was commenting about Oh, the girls are sexually assaulting, the women are sexually assaulting the boys and, you know, his father shouldn't be complicit. And, you know, the the video of him admitting this is on Twitter and, you know, everything is, you know, we're just having a a discussion about it. CPS ain't been called. Maybe they've been called now, but at the time there was... One or a few mentions of CPS, but most people were only saying CPS because of trying to make an argument about gender. You know, because mothers are, black mothers are heavily critiqued. So when there was a, a child on a shipper pole a couple of weeks ago, they called CPS on her. So people are like, why aren't they calling CPS on Boozy? But what bothered me about this is. Boozy is raping his sons. This is conspiracy to commit rape. This is rape. He is raping his children. Yet, no one is calling it that. This video is of a man admitting to raping his children. And Twitter hasn't flagged it. Twitter hasn't taken it down. And if this were a white child, that these were white boys, this is a white girl, are you kidding me? I cannot even imagine Twitter having a video up of a white father talking about paying people to rape his white daughter. And my point is about the, 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 the visceral lack of empathy Yes, we acknowledge intellectually, but our bodies, we should be horrified that a parent can admit to, to raping it. But we're not. We're not. We are so sensitized, we're so desensitized to the exploitation the using as instruments, just that instrumentality of black bodies that although it's disgusting, we're not up in arms. We're not protecting our, our sensitivity. But a white, this could never happen. And this is the case all over. The CNN showing the video or leaking the video or whatever of Ahmaud Arbery being shot. This white people, granted, yes, white people are not. This is a particular black problem, obviously being shot by cops. But there are white people getting beat up by police. We don't see it on the major news. I talked to my mom about it. She was like, she used to see it on cops back in the day. But they don't show white people getting their ass beat. And they get, trust me, poor white people are getting their ass beat as well. They're not getting shot, but they're getting their ass beat. In certain parts of real poor. The thing is, we're not, we don't really see too much ultra poor white people. And that's another thing. We hide that fact. But we overwhelm our senses, overwhelm the media with black bodies being destroyed, being exploited, being violated, with black poverty, with black crime, with black drug. It's like with the Andrew Gillum, they put this black man nude in the paper, passed out, a politician. Meanwhile, there was a white politician in California killing black gays. And just living willy well, he's not a politician, he's a Democratic donor, but just living willy-nilly. You put this man's body out like that, you would never do that for white people because it would be considered indecent. They, us, all of us, 
white and black alike need to read amplify and retain the sensitivity around black lives and black bodies. Maintain a certain decency around it. Make it a moral imperative. The dignity that you would show, oh, I can't believe I'm even saying this, but the dignity that you would show a white body, you know what's crazy? There are I don't know if there still exists this, but back in the day, not even that far back, but there were rules about not being able to show the murder of animals on TV. Yet they can show the slaughter of Ahmaud Arbery. Admitting to raping your child on, on video is... Disgusting. That should be, I mean, he should be prosecuted. Even though fuck prison, but you know. And there's nothing. We just are so used to it. And then you have the people that 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 can't look at the video. And I shouldn't have looked. Because clearly I was fucked up for a while. But. Those people. Are reacting this way because. They worry. They live it. They worry it could be them. They worry it could be their brothers. Their sisters. Their da da da. But it's not a ma- it's it's seldom a matter of decency. Some people do. I have heard people say it's indecent, but so this week I just want us to you know, these to to maintain a sense of sensitivity, to maintain a code of sensitivity in our lives. And that's kind of the truth of the week as well. It's just like everything you see, everything you pour into yourself, everything you consume has an effect. Everything you consume has a fucking effect. And we shouldn't lie to ourselves about that. We really shouldn't lie to ourselves about that. And we should be careful about what beliefs we hold. It's like we have to be we have to really be honest. And for all you people that you know are trash, they ain't nobody hating on you. I hear a lot. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Um, have a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful um, week, and I.